All right, so let's get into our Bible study this morning. I don't have any text messages. Really? I don't. Well, there's no just double friends. 0491064669 is the number to text us. And everybody's deserted me this morning. Yeah. I'm feeling so sad. <laughs> And I what, am. What is what is going on? Rejoice now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to Galatians chapter one and verse four. I think people, oh, I think people boy. just want to hear the Bible. They just want to. That's yeah. true. So we get to get into the Bible earlier. Mm-hmm. We've got a whole bunch of verses here we can look at. We're going to start in Galatians one and verse four. Today we're going to talk about substitution. Oh, now yes. our Bible study makes some very strong statements here in relationship to substitution that I think are absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it says this, and this is you know obviously this is not Bible. This is uninspired opinion of the writers, but I think it's very well written. There is no question one of the key themes, if not the key theme of the New Testament, is that Jesus Christ died as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Mm. This truth is the foundation of the entire plan of salvation. Any theology that denies the blood atonement of Christ denies the heart and soul of Christianity. A bloodless cross can save no one. Woo! Strong. Let's go. Dude. Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Heavy stuff. Heavy All right. to start this morning. All right. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Yes. The Bible says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Okay, so the Bible says very plainly, very simply, that Jesus did what? Gave his life. For? Our sins. For our sins. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is as, as, the, as the Bible study points out, is the entire theme of the New Testament. And it mm. just does my head in that there are those out there who would try and deny this thing. Mm. And so... There'll be probably a bunch of people like, what? Wait, who out there is? How are they denying this theme? Okay, so probably one of the things that jumps out to me the most is the concept of um, moral influence theory. Oh, okay. And moral influence theory comes in a bunch of different shades. Mm -hmm. But classic moral influence theory says that, well, you can't die for. My sins, I can't die for your sins. We all have to pay for our own sins. Mm -hmm. And so therefore Jesus can't, you know, sin is not something that is transferable. And so when Jesus died on the cross, what Jesus was doing was he was demonstrating his love for us. He was demonstrating his character. He was demonstrating how far he was prepared to go for us. But that act couldn't actually physically atone for things that we had done because sin is not transferable. Yikes, man. Yes. That is just like missing oh, the so basically, whole point. So basically the, the, the death of Jesus was a demonstration of his love. Which it already is. Which yeah. it absolutely is. Okay, mm-hmm. so there are some things with moral influence theory that I absolutely agree with. It mm-hmm. was a demonstration of his love. There is no question about that. Mm-hmm. There are some things that I disagree with, and that is that sin is not transferable, that Jesus could not take his sins upon us, his sins, our, our sins upon him, and die for those sins. In fact, I would say that Jesus is the only person who can do that because he is the originator of the law, and mm. that the originator of the law, in a very legal sense, can actually do that. Mm-hmm. And let me give an illustration to illustrate how that would actually work. And so this is an illustration. I'm not sure what 
I've never been able to confirm the historical accuracy of it, but it did come from apparently some years ago. Uh, people have said that it happened here in Australia. I don't have the details, and so I don't really know. But regardless, it's a great illustration. You have you know, one of these early colonies and a governor of the colony who has a problem with theft, and so he introduces mandatory sentencing for theft. Mm-hmm. Anyone caught stealing? 40 lashes, that's it. Mm-hmm. And the very first person who was ever caught stealing was his elderly mother. Oh wow! And she was caught red-handed. Mm. There was there was no uh, no reasonable doubt. No reasonable doubt. Nothing like that. It was just blatant, in your face, red-handed. She's arrested and carted off to court. Uh, over this stealing. Of course, when she gets there, it just goes against her. Mm. Now, of course, 40 lashes for a frail elderly woman. That would kill them. That's a death sentence. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine how this captured the imagination of the entire community. And they really all wanted to know what kind of a governor they had because his actions at this particular point are going to be a commentary on his character. Mm. And so on one hand, he could say, no, that's, that's, that, that's cruel. I'm not that heartless. I'm not going to kill my own mother um, and I have the power, so I'm just going to let her go free because he does have the power. Mm. In which case, he's going to communicate to his community that he is somebody who will bend the rules in his own favour when it's his own family. Mm. In other words, he's going to make a law, but he's not going to actually truly stand by the laws that he makes. Mm. It's you know one law for one person, another law for another. It doesn't matter what you know, it matters who you know. Yeah. That kind of situation. And so that's a very difficult situation for him. On the other hand, he can stand by his law and be true to principle, and he can have the sentence executed upon his elderly mother, in which case she will die and his entire community will see that he is heartless and cruel. Mm. So it's kind of a no-win situation. He's either going to be uh, heartless and cruel or he's going to be uh, corrupt and, well, just sort of like, you know, pliable and, you know, everything that goes along with that. So you can imagine that when the day for the sentence to be carried out arrives, the whole area, to, you know, everybody turns up. This is back in the day when it was, you know, these kind of things took place in the town square, in public. They're all there. Everybody's there. The old lady, she is walked out into the town square. The charges are read out. The conviction is read out. The sentence is read out. There is a scaffold in the middle of the square and the entire community is just standing around with bated breath waiting to find out what is going to happen. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. As they're about to lead this elderly lady towards the scaffold, the governor steps forward. Mm. And you can imagine at this point that Everybody stops breathing. What's going to happen? He steps forward. But he doesn't say anything initially. First of all, what he does is take off his coat and then he takes off his shirt. Mm. 
And then he says, tie me to the scaffold. I'll take it for her. Mm. Now, if he had if he had turned to one of his soldiers and said, you know, strip down, you're going to take it for her, that soldier would have had to do it. But would would that have been seen as being just? No. No, it's not their law. They hadn't made the law. It had nothing to do with them. They didn't they weren't volunteering. Mm. It wasn't their law. Well, even if they had volunteered, it still wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It wouldn't have been applicable. But they can't do that because they didn't create the law. Mm. The only reason he could do that was because he was the one who was the creator of the law. He had initiated the law. He had written the law. He was the one mm. who made the law. Therefore, he can do this. Now, when he does so, is he backing down from his law and saying, ah, you know, we're not going to carry out the penalty of this particular law. I'm just going to change it in the case of my mother. No. No, no. What, what he's communicating is that, like, there is always the penalty for breaking the there law. There is always the penalty. Mm. And the penalty is never going to go away and the penalty is never going to change and the law is never going to go away and it is never going to change. But at the same time, so he's being 100% just. Mm. This is just. Not backing down from his law. But is he also being merciful? Yeah. 100% merciful. Because he is stepping in as the substitute and as the only one who can mm. be the substitute. And this is, you know, really a great illustration of what Jesus did for us. He was the one who made the law. He was the one who said the wages of sin is death. He was the one who said that I don't want human beings to die. And he could have just sort of stepped in and said, you know what, I don't want human beings to die. This is awful. I love them all. Mm. So I'll just forgive them all. And Satan would have said, but wait, you've got a law. There's just corruption. I got tossed out of heaven for breaking yeah, the law. Yeah, wow. mm-hmm. And this is absolute corruption. Jesus equally could have walked away from our world and gone, you chose it, guys. It's all yours. Bye-bye. I'm out of here and just noped out of the whole thing. And that also, you know, the rest of the universe then looking on would be like, wow, that's cold. Mm. That's ice cold. You know, it might mm. only be a tiny speck of dust and not much, but still that's you created those people. And now you've abandoned them. And, and this is the thing. It's like, I, because I, I, people bring this up and they're like, it's cold. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel like with the whole idea of, of just relinquishing the law, you legally don't have the right to do that. Like, unless, of course, you're the person who created it. But like, there isn't a precedent where that's okay and it's not corruption. Whereas the other side, the other side where it's he makes them go through and, and receive the punishment. That is, like, I feel like God fully has the right to do that. Fully has the right to let that happen. To say, like, oh, well, you receive the consequences. Like, because there are people at the end of the day who will receive the consequences under the under the pretext that they have, you know, been offered salvation and forgiveness and mercy and justice. But ultimately, like, I feel like with that second option, it's like, you know, just giving them up and abandoning them, God fully has the right to do that. God fully has the right to do that because it's our decision uh, that has led to that. And I think that's the powerful thing. Like, yet he doesn't. Yet he doesn't. Mm. Yet he doesn't. And, you know, this governor in this case, 40 lashes could just about kill a person. 100%. And particularly in in, in those days where there was no such thing as any kind of sanitation. Mm. Oof. 
you know, that, that, that whip has whipped, you know, a lot of other people before. Mm. You're not going to be using bandages that have even been boiled. You know, yeah. you start to think about all of the implications of this and the possibility of dying from uh, 40 lashes is actually very, very high. Yeah. Well, it was in Jesus' time where they only gave people 38. Yes. Because they're like, oh, yeah, 40. The last the, two will kill you. The 40 is the death sentence. Yes. That's hectic as. Yes. That's so gnarly. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, but coming back to our subject, let's look at a couple of other verses about this. And this is one mm. of the things when people do away with the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ and the legalities of what is actually happening. And, and you know, they're like, oh, this was, this was moral influence. You know, God was influencing us with his goodness and, and, and this kind of thing. There is, they're doing away with the depths of the plan mm. of salvation. Mm. The plan of salvation is incredibly multi-layered. It's not single-layered. You look at all of the different theories that there are out there, and there's about five or six different major theories about how uh, the death of Christ provides for our sins. Mm. And what there is, what you're going to find is that there is an element of truth to every single one of them. The problem comes in not with the element of truth that you have to every single one of them, but when you choose just one on its own, then you have to you are forced to accept some untruths to go along with it. Yeah. And I think when we limit ourselves to just one view of the atonement, then we are forgetting that this is just has multiple levers, multiple layers. It's like an onion. You can just keep peeling off one layer yeah. after another layer after another layer after another layer and learning new things about the atonement and the death of Jesus and what it means for us. This is something, in my opinion, we are going to study for eternity mm-hmm. and never, ever get to the full bottom of it. Yeah, wow. So often we speak with such great confidence like, I've got it sorted. I have the answer. You know, all of the rest of you, you are at a lower level of spirituality than me. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I you, have you communicate that yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, and, you know, you hear, this, you hear this kind of idea going around and then, you know, it appeals to our vanity and it appeals to our ego mm. and all of this kind of thing. But there is so much we don't know about the plan of salvation. Mm. We try and make it simple, and it is simple, but it's also there are there are depths that we just haven't even begun to understand. I think like what gives us some like inference and some insight into how deep the plan of salvation is and, and what we've been talking about this week in our Bible study is this, the sanctuary itself, which was the symbol that God used to communicate uh, how the cleansing of sin from the universe will work. Now, the sanctuary itself is like incredibly complex like it, it just yes. in its in its in its yes. like in in its on the earth um application and its festivals in its you know creating uh in the materials that are even used in the sanctuary like it's incredibly deep multi-layered like communicates so much to us uh and yet the bible says that this is a shadow of things to come 
And it's like, you know, when we, when we look at a shadow on the ground, like if I hold my hand up in the light, I see my shadow. And what I see from my shadow, I can see the outline of a hand. It's just black with an outline. That's what the Bible says the sanctuary is. But, you know, I then look at my hand. I see my fingernails, my knuckles, my veins, the hairs, uh, the different, you know, consistency of the skin. It's a bit more stretchy around my knuckles. It's a bit more, uh, firm around the rest of my hand. You know, I turn my hand over. I've got like all my, my lines and whatnot, like, or the joints. Basically, the point I'm trying to make is that the symbol is way less complicated than the actual thing. Yes. Yet, like, well, the shadow is yes. way less complicated. Yet, you know, we look at salvation as something with such ease and we look at the book of Leviticus as something that's so difficult to understand. I think we should start considering it to be the other way around. I think we should just, I think we should just study it mm. and learn it. And make it a, a, a central part of our lives to always be learning something new. Yeah, hundred percent about what Jesus did for us. Okay, let's go over to what we're talking about: learning new things. We're going to go to Matthew chapter twenty-six. Let's flick over there very quickly. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We've also had some text messages um, coming through here. Uh, this one says this. Oh, we're going to have, uh, do we have another quiz? Is it too late in the show? Nah, Probably a bit nah. late in the show. We, we could only do like two, yeah. please. All right. God has the right to execute humanity. But remember, we are all his creation, his fallen children. Only he, only he knows the power of sin. Angels mm. in heaven fell under its power. Adam and Eve fell. What chance did we have? None. Mm. Jesus has done everything he could to say to save us this that's a great text message because we actually so oh, I, I love that because we see a similar situation today just in our court system yes like we see people from disadvantaged communities who you know yes have some inference of right and wrong have been given some you know insight and knowledge into what is right and wrong but because of their circumstances and their situations uh they do the wrong thing uh and then there are two ways that people go about it. They're usually either, you know, given grace and parole and given a chance to rehabilitate, or they're not. You know, people uh, throw the book at them and they're thrown in jail and whatever it may be. And I guess we just see God in, in this situation, like God's response to it, is just the ultimate one of mercy and love. But, it but it's one that doesn't relinquish uh, the penalty from taking place. Yes. So, yeah, awesome stuff. Okay, Matthew chapter two, chapter 26 is where we're going to. And Lawson, we're going to start reading in verse 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see, through 28. Matthew 26, 26, the Bible says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So when Jesus does this, mm-hmm. what does this mean to the disciples? What What are they thinking? So we actually had a communion service last Friday night. Yes. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, we did foot washing. Ah, we the best. Ate, the, ate the bread, drank the wine, and that question was asked. Like, what did this mean to the disciples at the time? And uh, we have, you know, some, some new Christians and da, da, da. It's like, you know, oh, and, and uh, Blair Lemke, who was leading out, made the point, like, 
No, they had no idea. Yeah, none they had no idea what yes. he was talking about. In fact, like just to, if we go to the book of John a couple of chapters earlier before this takes place, he says a similar thing, like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and the people literally want to kill him. They're so confused. They're like, this is a hard saying. We can't understand it. We don't, we don't understand. We have no idea they're what like, he's talking about. Is he telling us to eat, you know, to practice cannibalism? Like, yeah. they're so lost. They have no idea what's going on. They are all at sea with this one. And the amazing thing about this passage is that it is, you know, hours, just hours from being fulfilled. Yeah, wow. Mm. It must have been heartbreaking for Jesus to, you know, hand out the bread, hand out the wine, wash their feet when, you know, in just a very, very short space of time it was all going to be fulfilled and they're all just sort of sitting there like, what's he talking about? Yeah. And in between that conversation, of course, their major conversation is who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to be prime minister? In, in, in the Dude. new empire, man, I understand why Jesus was depressed as uh, it, our interviewee like was for making three that three and a half yeah. years. He's preached for three and a half years, and they just don't get it. We're just so discouraged. Yes, from just being so misunderstood. Yes, and it's not. It's not like Jesus is coming with something like radical or you know it's not like he's trying to start up his uh like mlm pyramid scheme and he's and he's misunderstood he's like oh come on guys i have the best product you know i have fit tea and he's like he's come to provide salvation for the world yes and they just don't understand absolutely oh it's so sad uh it is indeed but really what it does is it illustrates for us once again the um the importance of the substitution because jesus Mm says, this is my body, this is my blood, mm-hmm. this I am dying for you, this I am giving for you. Mm. He is substituting himself for us. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible says this, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Okay, so uh, let me see here. We have been brought near to God by Mm, what? The blood of Christ. How does the blood of Christ bring us near to God? Mm, Well, it removes our sin. It does indeed. Mm. It takes away our sin. Let's look at another verse, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. So Hebrews 9. I love this verse, dude. Oh, so good. Can you you do it off by heart? No. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 9, we read it earlier this week, and it's fantastic. Hebrews 9 and verse 14, the Bible says, Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscious, uh, our consciences from sinful deeds by the power, oh, sorry, uh, so that we can worship the living God. For by the Spirit, by the power of the eternal Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Hebrews also says that without the shedding of blood, there is no. Remission of sin. Yes. Mm. And so you kind of wonder if it was just, you know, if it was, if it's just moral influence and sin cannot be transferred to Jesus Christ, then how does the Bible say that without the shedding of blood there is no, what relevance does that ver- verse I even, have? I don't even know how people could come up. Like, okay, I understand how people could come up with it. I understand, like, the logic behind it, but it's just not consistent with the Bible. No, no. You know, particularly when we look at the verses that we looked at yesterday from Isaiah chapter 53, where the Bible says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Mm. You know, you've got God the Father, 
who is handing out the punishment to the son mm. that you and I deserve. Yeah. The death penalty is going to Jesus Christ. Uh, these are some pretty full-on passages right here. One more that we're going to look at is First Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. Let's have a look at what the Bible has to say over here. First Peter 1 and verse 19, the Bible says, It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Uh, you, you know, we actually have to have verse 18 as well. Eight, oh, okay. So okay. the Bible study just gives us verse 19, but you've got to have verse 18 to give it its okay. context. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Okay, so once again, if you look at this particular passage right here, what you find is that the Bible says that there was a ransom paid. Mm. That's really clear language. Mm. Uh, it says a couple. It repeats that thought a couple of times. And then it goes on to say that the ransom was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ. Mm. And so some people will ask the question and say, well, who was, who, was rece- who was God paying the ransom to? You know, who does, who does God pay the ransom to? I mean, is he, is he paying the ransom to Satan? No, he's paying the ransom to the law. Mm. Satan is not demanding death. It is the law that is demanding death. Yeah, wow. That's where the ransom is paid. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. The crown is sinking sand. All other crown is sinking sand. Welcome back, everybody. You're looking, listening to Jimmy Needham with It Is Finished here on The Breakfast Show. Well, The Breakfast Show is not finished. <laughs> But it's getting close. Amen. We have question of the day coming. I've got a couple of really good questions that have come in over the uh, last day or so. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be sharing with those with you one at a time. Before we do, well, we don't have another clue for the quiz. We don't have a clue for the quiz. We're, so then, we're done. Question of the day. Nice. All right. Today's question of the day. Today, Lyle is, did Jesus regain his divinity after the resurrection? If so, at what point? Okay, so this is a really interesting question. If you go to Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, would probably be your best chapters to read on this particular subject. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1 is all about the divinity of Jesus Christ, and Hebrews chapter 2 is all, sorry, Hebrews 1 is the divinity, Hebrews 2 is all about the humanity of Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, here's the, here's the key idea. Jesus never lost his divinity at any point. He always remained the divine Son of God. What he did was lay aside his divine power. Mm. So when he lived here on this earth, he lived here on this earth as a human being, as you and I live on this earth. But there are a number of statements he makes in which he illustrates that, you know, at any time I can exercise divine power. In other words, you know, I could, I could. I could make a statement right now and and 10,000 angels would come to my side. Mm. He has that divine power that he can exercise at any time, at any point, but he chooses not to. 
And so people look at the amazing things that Jesus did, they look at the miracles that Jesus did, and they say, well, you know, Jesus did those because he is God. No, Jesus did those as a human being. Mm. He did those through the same power that is available to you and I. Because Jesus came to this earth as our example. Talking about Jesus, you know, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry times and in different manners or in different ways spoke in times past under the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The Bible is very clear that Jesus never ceased to be God through any of that period right there, even while he was you know, dying on the cross, purging of his, our sins, etc. He never ceased to be God. What he ceased to do was use his own power as God. Mm. Because if he'd have done that, then his example to us would have been worthless. That's why when you go to you know, chapter 2 where it talks about his humanity, now you get the contrast here in chapter 2. You know, Verse 11, For both he, that he, he who sanctifies or makes holy and those who are made holy are all of one. The Bible says, He who makes holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, you and I, are all of one. Uh, verse 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise, for redundant words, for emphasis, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Uh, verse 16, For truly he did not take on him the nature of angels, mm. but took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things, it was best for him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to help those that are tempted. And so Jesus came to this earth and he became a human being just like you and I. And that was a conscious decision that he made every day to remain that way. That's why when you go to the Gospel of John, you'll find you know Jesus talks about the amazing things that he did uh, let's go over to John. I think it's John chapter 14. Where is John here? Uh, John chapter 14 and uh, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. There is no power that Jesus used that is not available to you and I. That's mm. the important point. Now, the next part of the question that then arises is, did Jesus go back to his divine form? No, Jesus remains a human being, and you find that in the book of Revelation. He is a glorified human being, and he remains that way through the rest of eternity. What Jesus lost when he became a human being was not his divinity. He never ceased to be God, but he lost his divine form. He now has a human body, a glorified human body, and he will retain that glorified human body for the rest of eternity. That's what you find in Revelation chapter 1 and other places there in the book of Revelation. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.